The hero factor is that special core fundamental that stands some companies apart to achieve true greatness. There's no better time than now to discover and revive your business story. Your origin story begins now. Hey, you're going to love this next guest. He's actually a knight of Malta. I mean, can you dig that? It's so cool to be able to talk about somebody that's doing big things. Compassionate capitalism sounds like a contradiction, but our guest totally lives it every single day. Blaine Bartlett is not only a keynote speaker, a consultant, leadership coach, and best-selling author. He's used his success in business to make a difference. And that comes through very loudly at the forefront in this interview. So Blaine looks at the soul of business and believes in their power to transform and take care of the world around them. And so that's really cool. And I'm so glad to be able to welcome Blaine Bartlett to The Hero Factor. Hey, so my first question I have to ask you, what is compassionate capitalism? How do you define it? Well, the easiest way to define that, I think, Jeff, is I'll do a little riff here. The, the book Conscious Capitalism speaks about what it takes to become aware of what the consequences are of businesses' activities. And that, that was the whole theme of the uh, book Conscious Capitalism. In my conversation that I had uh, with Rashid Sodia and John Mackey, who wrote the book, uh, conscious capitalism, I started exploring with them, how does that look behaviorally? You know, it's one thing to be aware, but it's another thing to act on that awareness. And that's where the idea of compassionate capitalism came into play. And it's predicated on the invisible hands uh, that Adam Smith talked about. You know, and just a very short version of that, essentially, the invisible hands is enlightened self-interest. And it you know, basically said that everything is connected. So you scratch my back, I scratch your back, and we are connected here, and we're going to both benefit. And this was the wealth of nations. Compassion is honoring that connection. That's the idea. It's behavior that honors the connection that everything you know, is, is touched by. So my activities as a business owner have impact way beyond just the consumer. It's in the way I source. It's in the way that I dispose of waste. How I go to market. You know, is it compassionate? You know, I think that's a good point. You know, in my book, The Hero Factor, and of course, hero leaders always know how to pick a side, meaning they do it. It's interesting with conscious capitalism is, okay, we have to be aware, like, hello, duh. Don't you think most leaders are aware of that? I think that they have an awareness, but I also think that they're held hostage by what they think they're supposed to do in service of the preeminent stakeholder, which is their shareholders. And then you know, I'm speaking here of, uh, you know, obviously public companies, but investing groups. I think we default too often to those being the, uh, the folks that are in the catbird seat, and we need to make business decisions on their best interest as opposed to balancing other stakeholders that are in place here in the planet is part of that, as well as the people that are our, our employees and that sort of thing. So awareness is one thing. I think, you know, yeah, I gave a talk in, in Japan a couple of weeks ago uh, about business as a spiritual discipline. I mean, literally. Ooh, I, like, ooh, I like that. I like that. I, that. By the way, that's a good place to do it in Japan because they have real discipline in business. 
Oh, they really do. They really do it. And I mean, I've got a standing ovation, had a group of about 400 business leaders there. And you know, what was interesting about a standing ovation is it was done through an interpreter. <laughs> so I'm assuming that they told me, you know, told, told them not to stand up and applaud. But <laughs> was actually, that guy, you, actually, you, you, actually, you sucked. The interpreter was great. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, I just got to mimic things. But the, the point was, you know, spiritual discipline, you know, disciplines of any sort require rigor. Shorthand version of this, every organization has values. It's easy to talk about the values. It's bloody difficult to live up to the values. It's easier to talk about them than it is to live them. And that's where spiritual discipline comes into play. I mean, every organization I've ever worked with as a consultant or as an employee, respect for the individual is either implicitly or explicitly part of the value structure. Living that value is the important thing. We can talk about it, but if it's not lived, you know, all bets are off. And for the most part, all, <laughs> all bets are off. Well, I think that's a really cool differentiation. I, I, I like the fact that you have to be aware of it. Conscious capitalism makes us aware of that. And to be honest with you, I think that's the easy way. The hard way is the compassionate side. That is to put it in play. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, in the book, I, again, I say pick a side. I think it's very important for businesses to pick a side. So it's not that you're just aware of it. Okay, yeah, we need diversity. Yeah, we need to take care of the environment. Yeah, we need to do the right things. But it's the doing of it that's important. I mean, let's take a, a, a great example right now that we're living right this minute. We work. We were. Yes. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Here's here's a business that had a forty seven billion dollar go out public, ended up at nine billion, and then the owner is taking one point seven billion. One point listen, that's with the B people, one point seven billion, and he's pocketing the money. They're laying off thousands of people. By the way, and I'm getting calls from executives outside of the, in that company going, Jeff, help us, help us, help us. And they're not getting severance paid. They're getting nothing. And, right. you know, is, there's there's a guy that's not not practicing compassionate capitalism right there. He's the opposite. He's the anti-Christ or, or the anti-compassionate of capitalism, right? Yeah, Ayn Rand, back in 63, I think it was, you know, when she wrote Atlas Shrugged and The Fountainhead and yeah. all that kind of stuff, she, she kind of turned the whole idea of the invisible hands enlightened self-interest on its head. And she she talked about, Capitalism being the only moral response, morally responsible socioeconomic model because it was focused on what she called rational self-interest, which is I get mine first. I'm looking out for number one. And yeah. that skewed things. Back in the 60s, it started to throw things all the way out. And Citizens United, I mean, I can go on and on and on about some stuff here. Well, but, Atlas yeah. Shrugged, one of the most influential books of its time and still today one of the hot ones that are out there. A lot of people say it changes their life. Uh, you just remind me, I just wrote it down right here on my sheet to go to go buy another copy of it because, you know, I read a book and then then I give it away to somebody. And so I don't always <laughs> keep the books. Uh, yeah. But I've, I've got to go get, I got to get her book and read that again. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole idea, yeah, John Galt, I, I remember reading that at university and going, oh my God, and, and it wasn't, you know, <laughs> it was epiphanetic. <laughs> and one says, it's gone, yeah. wow. But then I started mediating that a little bit and it's going, oh, wait a minute, what's the real consequence of that if I take that to, to its extreme? And that's kind of what we're looking at today. You know, wealth disparity and all kinds of other stuff. 
Everybody's got to listen up. Blaine's using some really big words here today. This is awesome. So, so for a lot of you, you this is you're, you're not going to get your business bingo here because he's really using some some real cerebral words, and this is going to be a great. So, write these things down. You can look them up later if you have to, like me. So, there you go. When it comes to compassionate capitalism, what do most businesses get wrong, Blaine? What do they get wrong in this process? I think what they get wrong is. It, ha- it happens with every business. There's an inflection point. There's, there's this piece mm-hmm. where the mission, the mission was in the forefront for a long period of time. And, and once you get over the funding hump, uh, if, if, you're, if you're starting your business, you start making decisions that are predicated on the business's health and well-being, not the mission's health and well-being. Yeah. And it's about, a, it's about a 51-49 balance here. But yeah, you got to keep the mission in front. And if you're not keeping the mission in front, you're still going to be making business decisions. You've got to keep the organization healthy. You've got to keep it viable. So profit is, is absolutely crucial here. At the expense of the mission, though, you start, that's a, that's a devil's bargain. And yep. that's, I think, where things go off the rails. Well, it's kind of like a diet. You're either on a diet, a good, healthy diet, or you're not. And the second you start, you know, cheating, then you mm-hmm. go over the edge. You're going to keep cheating. Trust me. The second you pick up that first Reese's Pieces, there's, there, there's, trust me, there's 10 more that follow. You can't just eat one Oreo cookie, right? You got to have two or three, maybe three, put them together so you get that the double stuff and then eat the other way. You know what I'm saying, but here we go. It sounds like you're recounting some, some recent history here. I Every day, brother. Every day, brother. Every day. I'm living that every day. The best diet in the world is the shut your mouth diet. There you go. Yep. You, you, you expend more cal- calories than you take in. C-Suite Radio. You talk a lot about, and I love your book, by the way, your last book. And I, this is just, it just is spot on. It fits so well with what we call the hero factor and, and the hero mission. In fact, what you just talked about was kind of like your walkaway values. And, you know, you got to have those in place and know what those are. So you never, never veer from them. But you talk a lot about a mission with the business. What does that mean? The mission with the business is, I mean, I need a business to deliver on the mission. I mean, I, there needs yeah. to be a vehicle. There needs to be a vehicle mm-hmm. to take this thing to market. And if that vehicle, I mean, this is where management expertise and all kinds of other things come into play here and, and leadership excellence. And I need a well-tuned vehicle in order to do this. I mean, Alan Bossidy, uh, you know, a long time ago, talked about execution, execution, execution. And that's where the mission actually gets delivered. So a mission with a business, not a business with a mission, because the, you know, if, I've, if I've got a business with a mission, the mission becomes an afterthought. Yeah. I need to have a mission with a business model that's actually functional. Uh, How often do you think people turn those around? All the time. Yeah. All the time. This is why it becomes a spiritual discipline. I mean, I've got to keep it in. I've got to keep the mission, which is where the spirit of the organization mm. actually lives. I've got to find ways to keep that in front of not only myself as the leader of the organization, but also in front of my people, in front of my customers, in front of my vendors, in front of my suppliers. It's called, I, you know, I call it drinking the Kool-Aid. It's kind of like, you know, always having that at the forefront of everything. It's on everything you wear. It's in every, it oozes out of you. And the more you have of that, the better. So you also mentioned a modern day millionaire. How are they different from the business leaders of the last generation? Oh, boy. <laughs> How long do we have? You know, oh, as much as we need. <laughs> okay. well, yeah, In the Great Depression, there were more millionaires made in the Great Depression than there was at any other time in history up until just recently. 
And mm-hmm. one of the things that made that possible was people were you know, taking a look at what's the opportunity in the calamity. I think where we're a little different today is that modern day millionaires, there's no calamity necessarily in, in place. Uh, but what there is, is a, uh, just a huge amount of access to information that, and it's, it, it's that access to information, a- information, we used to have a, you know, to pay a, a really a hefty premium for information. It's ubiquitous today. I mean, you can get information anywhere. And that's what you know, a highly astute uh, entrepreneur is taking advantage of. How do we leverage this information and then take that, you know, it's you know, big data in one sense. You know, how yeah. do we take yeah. data and actually monetize it? And the challenge is we've got to be able to do it in a way that is generative, you know, that it, that it actually ends up being something that people want. I've got a good friend uh, that you know, wrote a book just recently called Love is Just Damn Good Business. And the tagline to his book is, you know, love what you do in service of people who love what you do. Now, Mm -hmm. what's interesting about that little turn of phrase, love what you do in service of people who love what you do. Yeah, just loving what I do isn't enough. Because that's where narcissism begins. And possibly ends. But if I'm doing it in service of, that's a mitigating factor. I mean, in service of others, there's a relationship dynamic in place. There's a relation component here. And if it's in service of people that are loving what I'm doing, my consumers, my customers, my stakeholders, if they love what I'm doing, or they're delighted by my product or my service, and I'm taking care of them in that way, love makes a big difference here. It's not about feeling good and being all touchy-feely. Modern-day millionaires, if they're doing it right, are paying attention to that dynamic. They're paying attention to relationship. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's really important because that's all an organization is at the end of the day. Well, and then uh, it's interesting because uh, I've got somebody on my other show on all business that's going to be on that show. And the, this is a company that actually looks at search, at what people are searching and buying, and then they make a product around what they're searching for. Mm-hmm. They're into the millions and millions. I'm talking about hundreds, of, over a hundred million dollars in selling products of things that people are already searching for, and they're displacing the number one person or group or company in that place just by capturing what they do and then servicing them, just like you said. Yep. But it, it'd be more exponentially if it has more feeling behind it or more need behind it than, say, just a dehumidifier or um, a blow dryer. But that, I mean, that's yeah. the kind of stuff they're doing, and they're doing very well with it. It's amazing. Yeah, it, it, yeah. I would say, boy, Blaine, if I could, I'd say, you know, when you think about it, I, I tell people all the time, the world's going to be controlled by mathematicians. I mean, they're writing these algorithms to oh, look boy. for this. Yeah. yeah I mean, you talk absolutely. about data, that's really what we're talking about. Yeah. 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 The gatekeeper of that algorithm, the gatekeeper of access to information. These are the, I mean, it's not an accident. I think that uh, Bezos and Amazon is where it's at today in part because the algorithm that they put together to track how people are buying and what it is that they're paying attention to. Yeah, this is where data is really used in an an amazing way. And people that can kind of get in there and and start working with that. These are modern day millionaires. They're nimble, they're quick. If they come at it from a perspective of compassion, they will have longevity. If, if they're just looking for a quick buck, um, that doesn't differentiate them long term. Well, and you, you mentioned Bezos. Bezos didn't start off that way. I mean, Bezos started out as a book printing operation. That's how mm-hmm. they first got started. And they learned 
the behavior of what they could capture and change and then extrapolate that into other verticals, which then became the real Amazon, uh, being able to capture that. So I I think it's interesting how that was probably a business that had a mission rather than a mission that then wrapped around a business around it. So now, but now they're the the opposite of that. They're really truly around the mission, but uh, early on they were around the business. So no Uh doubt about it. You talk about merchant priests. What what are, what are merchant priests? (laughs) <laughs> the merchant priest. In the old Greek, the word priest, presko, was not a religious figure. It was just an elder that had mm-hmm. wisdom, you know, an elder that had gained wisdom. So when you went to a priest in ancient times, you weren't going for a religious rite. You were going to get something from somebody that had walked the path before you. you know, they, were, mm-hmm. they were an elder. They, they, they had wisdom. A merchant priest, you know, and this is why I talk about business being a spiritual discipline, not again in a religious sense. A merchant priest is somebody that takes that higher ideal. They understand what it's about. They hold the standard. They are the barkeeper, if you will. You know, they keep raising the bar on, in terms of you know, keeping the mission in front of us. I used to train coaches and, and uh, trainers years ago in, in, in a past life. And one of the things that I would say all the time to neophytes and you know, folks that were just coming in is, you will set the ceiling for how high your students will move. Yeah. And that's what the merchant priest does. The merchant priest is a leader. Is they, they set the standard and people live into that. But the leader is living from that. And that's a big distinction. I mean, you can almost use the word thought leader or guru, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of that. I, you know, a lot of people don't know that, you know, to be a good thought leader, you, you've got to be out there. You've got to own the space, be quotable. You're at the top of your game in the business. It's the same way, right? You, yeah. you, and by the way, you've got to have haters, too. That's the other thing. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> it yeah. comes, comes to the territory. You know, yeah, which the, the, we, I do merchant trees. You know, Robert Frost a long time ago, you know, one of his writings said, you know, our founding fathers did not believe in the future. They believed the future in. Say that again. Yeah, you know, the founding fathers didn't believe in the future. They believed the future in. In other words, mm-hmm. they were coming, they were living from that place. They insisted, that, and this is what a merchant priest does. They, they insist that people behave today, think today, act today, feel today as if the future were already here. And that leader has articulated Mm. what that future is. And then they look at it and say, okay, act as if, behave as if. And people go, yeah, but. And I go, yeah, I understand, yeah, but. And I still insist that you behave today as if we were already here. We are the kind of company that we said we were going to be. We act as if we are. And it's that presupposition. Oh, that's a very that's that's a good takeaway from this. I've got a couple of them already, but this this one I love a lot because I live my future. I don't I don't live it in everything I do. Let's be clear, folks. We just got through talking about the diet thing, right? I <laughs> eat too much. I'm not as healthy as I should be, and I'm not living that. I got to get into that future. But on my work side, and my and my love family side, I think I live my future. I, I could do better on the family side too, but I'm, you know, I'm being vulnerable here. But on the work side, there's no doubt I live my future. My, I live as though the business is that future, and I'm always dragging everybody else with me. Boy, but we need to balance on all four. You need to balance. You know, you work with Stephen Covey. You, yeah. you need to balance on your personal life, your business life, your friends' life, and your spiritual. Those are the four that are real critical for you. Yeah. So think about how you do that. I, I think it's important. You know, I love listening to you, Blaine. I always love having conversations with you. 
And and the reason is you you make me think, but you're you're deep in in and I, the word I would use with you is you're very spiritual. Well, and which I think is a good balance for a lot of people that we don't bring in. For instance, I know this about you, and I'm going to bring this up because I have to ask this because I, I want to live this like you do. You, you're you a knight of the sovereign order of St. John of Jerusalem, Knights of Malta, the Knights of Malta. Yeah. You're a knight. I want to be a knight. How can I be a knight? <laughs> I, 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 I'll even dress up. I, I'll, I'll, I'll carry your sword. I'll, I'll you know. Oh, hey, I got you get... with a sword. <laughs> no, I want that. I've been to Malta. I've eaten at that the the, the hospital table there, that the, the building, and it's got like twelve hundred yep. seats, and it takes you fourteen yeah. minutes just to get up to go to the bathroom. You have to yeah. walk all the way around the table. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. It's the it's the oldest uh, humanitarian organization on the planet. Yeah, wow. I, I was very honored to be tapped. As, as do I have as, to call uh, you, sir? Do I have to no, call you actually, sir? No, this particular order, they don't use the word sir. Sir is, a, mm-hmm. from what I understand, I mean, it's, it's a prerogative of the British. <laughs> yeah, well, of course. We, of course it would be the British. I mean, we, we've got a lot of bad things. we got some good things. we got America out of it. That was pretty good. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I have my friend. My friends call me up from the U.K. every 4th of July and, and, and swear at me. Every Fourth of July, they call. And it's got this one friend. He's, he's he's been a friend of mine for decades, and he calls just to he drinks that day, and he calls me and says, "You you you bloody bastard!" He, he calls me every time. Anyway, yeah, good, good, so good Brit, I like that. You, with with this knighthood, is there a special handshake or anything like that? Well, I get a little pin that I get to wear. Yeah, and you know it's interesting here in the states, it doesn't get a whole lot of notice, but if I go to Europe or or even parts of Asia. And people see this thing. They, they, I mean, all of a sudden, there's a, there's a deferential shift. They approach me a little differently, which is is kind of interesting because there is an honorific around it. You know, there's some honor there. Yeah, and, you, but I mean, I mean, I'm still goofing around. But did did you have to save a damsel or anything like that? Uh, no, no, I didn't. Uh, although my wife, uh, I, I, I keep, keep looking. looking for, I keep looking yeah. for one to save her. <laughs> keep 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 Don't looking worry. there. Keep looking. Yeah. So yeah. Well, that's what I like about you. You really practice what you preach, and you do a lot of mission trips to Africa. Yeah. You know, what have you done there? Well, I mentioned my wife. Uh, She founded an organization called the Unstoppable Foundation uh, about 11 years ago, and I'm on their board. And they do work in Africa. uh, They do work in uh, India. Essentially, there's a five-pillar model about clean water, access to clean water, schools, education, nutrition education, uh, literacy, education uh, for the adults, you know, medical care. So these five pillars. And, and what we've done is we, we've implemented this five-pillar model. And part of the reason for it is, you know, when she started, it was just about building schoolhouses. And she found mm-hmm. out real quickly that in about two years' time, these schoolhouses are empty. And they're empty because it's a systemic dynamic. The, the kids don't have access to water. So they've got to go schlep water. They walk five miles each way to get water. So the girls mm-hmm. are out of schools and then they're drinking dirty water. So dysentery comes in. So they're not healthy and they don't get a nutritious. So this five pillar model is a, is, a, is a model to address systemically what goes on. And the intent is that by the time our work is done in a particular village, you know, usually about five to seven years, it is sustainable. You know, we can walk away and it's, it's up and running and there's economic development going on. And it's a hand up, not a handout sort of a thing. So, you know, the foundation 
I go over with them every year to Africa. Uh, we've been to India a number of times. You know, we're impacting, you know, round numbers, about 90,000 people a day wow. in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, which is one of the poorest regions in the entire planet, uplifting their quality of life. And the, and the power of that is that uh, that kind of a move begins to have impact on, you know, things that we in the first world are worried about, like terrorism. I mean, if, you, if you've got people that are now, you know, beginning to realize from a self-actualization perspective, they don't feel like they're being left behind. They actually start to look at ways that they can actually bootstrap themselves up. So it starts to impact a whole lot of different things, not just the life of that individual. It impacts the life of the, uh, the region. And, and what we're up to right now is changing that region of the planet. That's fantastic, and that's great work. And it's good to see not only you doing that, but your wife as well, leading and being a real leader. Without question, you know, Blaine, I can I know this uh, by knowing you, and but listening to you talk about the spiritual discipline, talk about being grounded, grounded, and it's really the roots. Your roots run deep, my friend, and it's without question everything that comes through. You have what we call the hero factor, and I'm so glad to have you on the show. And so thanks for being a part of the show. Thanks for being a part of the Hero Club and being a part yeah. of all we're doing to, to lead with value-based business. You're a real shining example. Well, thank you. And, and you know, I love what the, the Hero Club is up to and, and what you're doing with the C-Suite Networks. I mean, you, you've opened up an opportunity for a conversation that I think is sorely, sorely needed. Well, thank you, my friend. And I, now I'm off to to rescue a damsel so that I can be a knight as well. All right. We'll see All you right, later about that. All right. Cheers. Good to talk to you. You bet. Thanks, Jeffrey. At the end of every show, I like to talk about the things that I learn, and I learn a lot every show. I always take away a couple of keepers, you know? And the biggest thing I took away from today's interview was live your future. Okay, live your future. So be in the present of what you're doing right now as though it's the future. Don't talk about what we could be, be it. And the closer you are to being it and get everybody to follow with you. And by the way, your team's going to be like that. You got one third of them drink the Kool-Aid right away. They're in the future. One third of them will kind of get to the future and a third never will. You know, concentrate on getting rid of the third and never will because they just never will get it. They'll never drink the Kool-Aid. And the other thing I was struck by was the fact of how deep he is rooted in his spiritual discipline. And that really drives his mission and his business around the mission. And I thought that was really cool. Something for us to understand and know. And so, by the way, speaking of knowing, do you know I need friends? So make sure you reach out to a friend and let them know all about the Hero Factor right here on C-Suite Radio. So tune in and listen. And don't forget to give us a like. Don't forget to give us a little bit of a rating on iTunes and those other places that you're downloading this uh, podcast from because we need all the help we can get. So thanks so much. I look forward to talking to you again. This is Jeffrey Hazlett. The Hero Factor on C-Suite Radio. You've been listening to the Hero Factor podcast on C-Suite Radio. Find this and other podcasts like this on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.